Our scripture reading today is Ezra chapter 6, 1 to 16, and John 16, 33. I read it in English Standard Version. The Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored, and in Ekbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Medea, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of gray stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatenai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozenai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wet with salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifice to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May, may the God who has caused this, his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatenai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozenai, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Itto. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. In John 16:33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the word, you will have tribulation, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. First of all, I want to apologize to Sung Ben for having you read those difficult words and names. That, that was a challenge. Um, each week uh, this, this year with the Lent season, we're going to be remembering the Passover lamb. And that remembrance is uh, providing a renewal in some form of our walk of faith in, with God. And so this, this week, uh, the, the title, the summary, refers to overcoming suffering and providing a renewed dedication. And what Sung Bin read was a, a celebration that resulted following some suffering. Now, the, the word dedication, there's some synonyms for dedication that would include the word loyalty, commitment, faithfulness, steadfastness, and dedication. And frequently in preparation or even following uh, athletic events, when an athlete or a coach is being interviewed, you'll hear comments that would be similar to this. Something about leaving it all on the field, giving everything you've got, referring to a maximum effort. And we are all in. And actually right now, the NCAA tournament, if you take a look at the t-shirts for the players, they have the word ball, B-A-L-L, -L, but the word A or the letters A-L-L -L are colorized and then in. So even the t-shirts right now for the NCAA tournament are about all in. Um, maximum effort, giving 100%. And every once in a while you hear somebody refer to, we gave 110%. And that's the title of my sermon today. And I think we all kind of understand a bit of that being an exaggeration. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be references to, yeah, you can't give 110%. It's just not possible. You don't do that. You give 100% and that's it. Okay, so yeah, I, my title is 110%. So obviously, I'm going to be referring to somehow that additional 10%. What, what is it? Um... What Sung Bin read in, in Ezra 6 was the reconstruction of the temple following the time of uh, exile in Babylon. And in verse 13, he read, the decree to build was carried out with diligence. And then in verse 16, as he ended, there was celebration of the house of God with joy. And so on just a, a quick little history uh, leading up to Ezra 6, and I'll, I'll leave you to read some of this. But 607 to 586 B.C., there was uh, some scenarios where Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem. And there were three different times that individuals, families, um, the cream of the crop, were taken from Jerusalem into Babylon. And so in 2 Kings 24, you read about Nebuchadnezzar removing the treasures, ransacking the temple, taking the goods, and just destroying the temple. And so three different times there were individuals taken, and within that is when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the group that ended up in Babylon. Uh, the books of, Chronic of 2 Chronicles, of 2 Kings, and Jeremiah deal with some of the time leading up to that, that exile. The Jews had become 
a people of suffering. They were removed from their land, taking captives, families separated from each other. The holy worship, the temple, destroyed. They were suffering, they were broken. But God had not forgotten them. In uh, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, there's Jeremiah's prophecy. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. We, we know this verse very well, 29 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So the 70 years was a prophecy that was already out there. But the children of Israel were suffering. They were not home. Then in 539 B.C., Babylon itself was taken over by Persia. And this reference to King Cyrus is where, where uh, this comes into play. Cyrus was the leader of Persia. And Cyrus had a, a softer heart for, the, for God's people. Uh, Ezra 1 through 3 refers to how the rebuilding of the foundation was begun. Ezra 4 tells of some opposition that occurred. Uh, some enemy forces bribed some officials, spread false rumors. And there was a 17-year time frame where the building of the foundation stopped. So kind of a hesitation. You know, children of Israel probably thinking, okay, Good grief, Lord, you brought us back. We're ready to build, and now we deal with more challenges. So frustrated. Ezra 5 uh, begins, and King Cyrus has passed away. King Darius has now come to power. And Haggai and Zechariah were encouraging the people, leading to communication with King Darius. And what Sungbin read then was the process of completing the temple with diligence and then joyful singing the end of suffering and celebration thanking God for his goodness for being with them so one of the questions that I have is as as we go through our times of suffering do we wait for it to be worth it when we have something that is available to be celebrated and we have a temple that is built is that when we recognize that the suffering and the dedication and the devotion is worth it? Now, we are called to celebrate, and we have some times of celebration. Um, May 15th, we're planning to celebrate the, our mortgage responsibilities being completed. Uh, we celebrate with health of individuals within our community and within our families being restored. We celebrate in small things, big things. We celebrate the goodness of God, and, and we should do that every time we can. But do we wait for our perspective of things to go well in my life, and then I will celebrate? Do I wait for it to be worth it on my terms? Do we consider God to be good only when I'm comfortable? only when things worked out for me. What, what do we consider a success? What do we consider worth it? Um, I have to think the children of Israel 
were in Babylon for 70 years. What a long time. I've only been around 57, now 58 years coming up next week. But 70 years, that's longer than my life's lifespan. 70 years. What were the children of Israel doing in the middle of that time of suffering? Now from scripture we know a bit of what Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were doing. They were trusting and obeying God in the middle of that suffering. They were standing in the tide against the tide of the culture and society that they were in. Um, when they when the king's orders didn't match up with what God's call was in their life, um, they faced the lion's den, they faced the fiery furnace. So I don't think that this, this thought of devotion and a commitment was something that Daniel and the children of Israel were saying, well, when things turn well, then we'll devote ourselves to rebuilding a temple and claiming God as our king. In the middle of that suffering, they were already doing the work then as a process of devotion, being committed. So just in envisioning them processing the exile, their suffering, and still being devoted, I have three questions for, for us and for me. To what am I called to be devoted? And I think there's five verses that help answer that pretty directly. 1 Kings 8.61 says, And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Psalm 86.11 says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So, so those four sets of verses would be, be devoted to God, be devoted to prayer, be devoted to God's will, be devoted to the fellowship of the community, to the fellowship of the church. And then I reserved Matthew 22, 37 and 39, which would be the two greatest commandments. Verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And verse 39, love your neighbor as yourselves. That's what we are called to be devoted to. But yet, as, as simple and straightforward as those verses can be, um, we, we have many people. Um, I mean, recently, some individuals in public Christian ministries that have been questioning and renouncing their faith. And you hear some of the statements that, you know, I no longer believe in God. I'm no longer a Christian. I'm walking away from the faith. And even some scenarios where valuing the word of God the Bible, the basis of our faith, that, that basis is no longer where, where people go. Now, many who have left the church are in the process of leaving the church. There have been hurts by members within the community, um, or they may have gone through some challenging times where they haven't felt God near. And, and I do think we need to recognize and sympathize and acknowledge where pain 
has occurred. And try to help heal. Encourage those individuals to remain in the truth. So that first question, what am I to be devoted to? Again, God, prayer, God's will, fellowship of the church, and love. But then my second question, and I think this is kind of the, the one that's a challenge. Why am I called to be devoted? Because if I read through those verses, you can have somebody say, okay, that's great, but why? And that question of why has this question along with it. What's in it for me? How is it going to benefit me? What's the reward for living a holy and upright life? The children of Israel were suffering. And they were God's children. Why, God? Should I continue to be devoted to you? And I think the world has an answer to this. You know, why, why am I called to be devoted? What's in it for me? Well, with the world's expectations, and sometimes ours, we're wanting to be successful. Whatever the terminology and whatever definition that may be, we want to be happy. If I'm not happy, then I need to find something else to do. And it should make me feel good. And, and I think of this, in athletics, we want to win games. We want to win championships. In business, we want to make money for our family, for ourselves, for retirement, whatever that may be. We want to make some money. In relationships, we want to experience intimacy. And the reason we do anything um, is based on some type of reward. We, we are wanting something good to happen. And the reward that the world expects, and, and we fall right into this trap, needs to be a reward that comes pretty quickly. If not immediately, it needs to come pretty quickly. We want it on my time, on my terms. In athletics, if you hire a new coach or you sign a new free agent, you expect a championship that next year. In business, if you invest in a new company or new stock, you want the price to go up, the value to go up. Love is now or, uh, considered more of an emotion, not necessarily a commitment. And so relationships can be ones that you can quickly opt out of when things get tough. And so we as a culture, we, we are in the middle of culture where it is a question, what's in it for me? And that goes against some of the things that we experience and read in scripture. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We don't like to wait. Uh, Del Tackett, in the series that we're doing on Wednesday night, The Truth Project, made a comment about too many times we suffer from myopia, which is nearsightedness. I've got that. That's why I've got this here. I can read well up close, but I can't see long distance. We can become so focused on what our own personal experience is that we're not thinking long term, whether that's going forward or even going backward. We only know our experience. And if our experience was 
this way, then that must be the truth for everybody else too. And that can go in both directions, pro and con. But we can't see past our own experience. And so if something isn't successful, then it's not good. And we don't allow God to move on his time. We've all heard questions asking, okay, how can a good God allow this and this and this? Um, worldwide suffering from COVID, that was no fun. Still continues to be, you know, linger. Human trafficking continues worldwide. Wars, violence, result in suffering all over the world. How can God allow that? How can a good God allow that? Uh, we have church members that have lost family members, spouses, brothers, sisters. We know of health concerns that just seem to continue to linger. They're not cured, regardless of our prayers. Um, in the past, there have been jobs that have been lost, pay cuts, relationships that haven't gone the way that we prayed for or want them to go. We know of pain and suffering, things that just aren't right. And that's where we can sometimes ask, okay, so why am I trusting and praying to a God who isn't answering my prayers? And those can be challenging times. And I have to believe that the children of Israel, when they were in their 70 years of exile, that was a challenging time for them. God, where are you? But he had not left them. He had promised he would be with them. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Lean not on your own understanding. I would throw in there, lean not on your own vision where we suffer from myopia. In John 16, 33, this is what Sung Ben read, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, we, we think we are so smart. Um, the internet has tons of information for us. We can go old school, we can get books, we can get videos. Um, all of that can be done online or even hard hard copies. There are so many website options. There are podcast options, YouTube options. You, you, can, you can figure out just about anything with YouTube. We can study. We can learn. And then we get smart. We think we know it all. And then we start thinking about my time. If I know it all, then my timing is the right timing. And so then we also re-identify Here's the rewards that should be happening. And there's a lot of preachers out there that are giving you the prosperity gospel in many different ways. If you pray the right way, here's what your reward's going to be. Okay, that's not necessarily God's timing. Our heart needs to be along with his. We live in a broken world. There are things that do go wrong. There's imperfections, including us. We are imperfect. But Jesus is above this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. So if Jesus has said, I have overcome the world, do we believe that? Do we trust that? We are not going to find our ultimate reward here. We're not going to find ultimate joy or peace here. Now, I'm hoping that we do have some joy, some peace. And I trust we, God provides that for us. But that's not the ultimate joy, the ultimate peace, the ultimate reward is not going to be here. Jesus said, in me, you will find peace. In me, you will find joy. Um, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, this past week, um, it popped up as one of my sets of verses on a, a morning. And I want to read this. And it struck me when I saw this. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Four times in those right away, it's about him. Not me. Not what I'm envisioning my reward to be. He's got a reward for me. The children of Israel, when they were in Babylon knew that God was with them. But as they got back and they started to rebuild the, the temple, again, there was hesitation. There, there, there was 17 years of a break. Were they continuing to trust and be devoted to God? Again, Psalm 23, lying down in green pastures is peaceful. Walking with him by still waters is peaceful and encouraging. Having a soul that is refreshed. Being guided along paths that are holy. So that question of where is my peace? Where is my comfort? Where is my reward? Jesus would say, in me, you will have peace. So our reward that we may be looking for as we devote ourselves to praying to the community may not be exactly what I I'm saying, hey, this is what my goal is. And we all make plans. Am I going to be sticking to those rewards that I say that's going to be the reward and that's going to be why and how I'm devoted to living a Christian life? That's what God's going to do for me. Or do we allow God to be the one to be determining what that reward is going to be? And how that's going to play out. And we are simply faithful. Again, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's why. It, it is a matter of trust. And giving up that control. And giving up that idea of an end result that we have envisioned. Okay, so what, what does 110% devotion then mean? And if I go back to the Babylonian exile, Daniel and the other Jews were trusting in God 
Not for seven weeks. I mean, weeks can be, feel long. Months can feel long. This was 70 years. And if I ask those first two questions of Daniel, you know, to what was Daniel devoted? Well, Daniel was devoted to God, to prayer, and God's promises. And the reason why... Well, Daniel had a lot of information. Daniel knew the stories. Daniel knew the history of his people. He knew the stories of faith. And then I want to go to the comments that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to King Nebuchadnezzar as they were being thrown into the fiery furnace. I think this gives an idea of this idea of a devotion of 110%. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, and this comes from Daniel 3, 16 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to del deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And here's the extra 10%. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if he does not. You know, giving it all, giving 100% is good. But that extra 10% is based on knowing the truth and trusting in the truth, even if. Now, every coach for any sport even individual sports. Every coach will have a game plan for their player, for their athlete. And that game plan is based on a scouting report of some type of the athlete, of the opponent, whatever, or a mix of those. The execution and the direction of play calling might change in the middle of a game, but the scouting report doesn't change. Players place their trust in a coaching staff and the game plan, which is based on that scouting report. And if they lose a specific game, they come up short, they prepare for the next game with the same devotion because they've already made a commitment to be part of the team for the entire season. Most athletes end up with a contract for one season at a time, maybe longer but they've made a commitment for the long term. Our scouting report is the Bible, the Holy Word of God. We place our trust in him and his word. And when I make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, I'm all in. That's 100%. The extra 10% are those times when things don't go exactly the way that I would like them to go. So I've already committed 110% because I'm giving 100%, but I'm already making a commitment to be committed. That's the extra 10%. We need to be able to say, I am prepared to commit myself again based on the truth based on God's word, even if things don't work out exactly the way that I would want them to work out right now. 
The temple was rebuilt with devotion, with celebration, with joy. And that was a devotion to God, to prayer, to God's will, and to the fellowship of community. And that fellowship, all of those were already there. In the midst of the suffering in Babylon, the devotion to God was already steadfast. The children of Israel were giving 110% even in the middle of their suffering. And in God's time, he rewarded them. The temple was rebuilt. But it was God's time. The stories of faithfulness of God to his people, the stories in the Bible are true. The stories of faithfulness of God for your grandparents, your parents, and I'm hoping you've heard many of them. And if you haven't, ask. Those are true. We sang, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. I will sing of the goodness of God. Um, Mercy Me is a music group that has a song called Even If. And this song was written in 2017. And the, the, the title, it goes so much along with the fiery furnace statement. I want to read the lyrics. So, so this would be a performer up on stage saying some of these things. And this could just as easily be a preacher saying the same things. I've come in before, you know, there's frequently that I'm preaching to myself. So here's, here's the song, Mercy Me, called Even If. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night. Again, think, think this, is, this is a performer writing these lyrics. I think they're powerful. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. But right now, oh, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, Oh, give me the strength to be able to sing. It is well with my soul. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful. You've been good all my days. Jesus, I will cling to you, come what may. Because I know you're able. I know you can. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. That's where our trust is. 
He knows our reward, our full reward.